follow climate change. <laughs> Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. That's my ideal experience for this podcast for me, for me personally, so that I can learn and not get overwhelmed on the topic of climate change and all of the issues that surround it. So today I'm very excited that I get to talk to Erica Saunders, who is, and I know I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm going to ask you, Erica, to say it again sure. to me, what you yeah. do with 350.org or three, yeah. Sure. So I am a uh, volunteer with 350 Massachusetts for a Better Future, and I'm out of their central mass node. So we are part of 350.org is like a larger international environmental organization. And then states, provinces, countries create their own 350s. Um, and 350 Massachusetts, we've been fortunate to partner with a nonprofit, A Better Future Project. Mm -hmm. And they guide us through so many things, trainings and working with legislators and things like that. So it's completely volunteer and grassroots led, but we just are lucky and fortunate enough to have this nonprofit who's able to give us trainings and kind of help keep us on the organized path. Do you want to say the name of that nonprofit? Sure. It's a better future project. Okay. Oh, you just said it, didn't yep. you? I missed it. Sorry. <laughs> and, and I think it's probably good to say, cause not everyone will know this. So 350 was started by Bill McKibben. Bill McKibben and a group of college students okay. from Vermont. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, yep. and the number 350 refers to the, what the, um, climate scientists say is the maximum parts per million of carbon we could have in the atmosphere and still have a chance of surviving. But right. Is, would you say, what, or yeah. what is the, what is that threshold? It's 350 is considered, well, how we say it, it's the, the sustainable level of carbon okay. in the earth's atmosphere. So it would be where we would maintain a healthy living environment for the earth. Okay. And right now we're sustaining at over 400 parts right. per million, which is... Ever since March, it was like the whole month was mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the first month in recorded history, so... Yeah. And, yeah. This, and this month was the hottest month on... The before. hottest, So we're yeah. in August, or July, they're saying July. last month, last mm -hmm. month, right? Yeah. I'm sure this month will... We'll um, top that one yeah. as it has for the last right. few decades, yeah. which is oh. frightening. Yeah. You know, and also a hard thing to explain when you're talking to people in the middle of winter and you're like, oh, it's January right. and this was the hottest month on record. And they're like, um, we just had three blizzards. And you're like, it's global. Yeah. So right. when it's cold for us, it's hot for Australia and right. places like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was so sort of struck by a map that I saw of the earth of, of this winter compared to something like the last, yeah. I don't know, 15, 20 years worth of winters and how how much of the earth was warmer or hotter than right. it had had been in a, in that that period of time yeah so. and in our area in particular if you if you looked it was like right. this weird little bit of cold dip spot. of cold yeah. and then everyone else yeah. was yeah right and yeah. i have a friend who's a climate scientist who i who talked with me about this on the podcast a few episodes back um and she was talking about how the either we get this like sort of she's saying like the atmosphere like sloshes like water and either we get sort of the slosh of the cold from the n north pole basically mm -hmm. um or it goes over like siberia so right. and it's yeah. sort of wishy washes back yeah. and forth year to year i love year. the slosh i'm stealing it for sure yeah, yeah i mean yeah, it's nice definitely word, yeah it? it is it's, <laughs> it's very great it's like very, yeah i totally pictured exactly what yeah. was happening yeah yeah, yeah. So we were having this, com we, so Erica was nice enough to drive all the way to my house, which is, I don't know, like an hour plus you had traffic. Yeah. But anyway, so we did a little walk to 
clear the legs. Um, <clears throat> and we started, I wish we could have recorded the conversation we were having as we walked, but we were going to, we, we sort of touched on something that I thought was, uh, we both thought felt like would be a great place to sort of try to dive in. And that was the, the idea of thinking about climate change and, and the changes that need to be made to address that as part of a bigger picture of change that needs to happen. Do you want to, why do you say something about sure. it? We'll go from there. Yeah. And, um, and I don't mean to like overwhelm anymore, but yeah. when we're talking about change in general, we're talking about needing everyone to make change mm-hmm. and everybody has a piece in this puzzle. And I, what we were talking about earlier was how do we bring all of the justices together to impact our world? And okay. So, so I'll slow you down just to talk about what you mean by all of the justices. Sure. Um, so when I talk about all of the justices in my head, what I'm talking about is your social justice movements, um, prevalent like black, black lives matter, um, food justice movements. So anybody who's fighting GMO labeling, that's a perfect example of there. And then climate justice. And there are all kinds of groups within those three categories. And those three categories aren't all of them, but Mm -hmm. they're the ones that come to mind right now. Um, and just seeing how each of those are connected. We're all interconnected Mm -hmm. in what we're trying to fight for. And, Mm -hmm. you know, our food systems are failing because our climate is changing because our food zones are changing Mm -hmm. our grow zones are changing, you Mm -hmm. know, or because they're being, you know, bees are dying because the climate is changing and we've turned to manipulating our seeds and our crops to be able to be pest resistant and in turn are killing the good pests. Mm -hmm. And when our food goes down, countries, people struggle. And when that struggle becomes real, there's a lot of social injustice that comes and the people who could afford to purchase food are suddenly moving up to the top and the people who are struggling and need the food are being pushed and the disparity level just grows and grows. And, and all of that has a connection. It matters to me that people need to eat. I need to eat, you know, and it matters to me that I turn to my fellow citizens Mm -hmm. and they're struggling and I look at the other side and there's people who are like, not and have no clue that this is an issue yeah you know and none of that is okay and so what would be great is to bring everybody together bring everyone to the same table and say look i know what you're going at here's Mm -hmm. my angle how do we make all of these angles Mm -hmm. work together because it's going to take all of us you know and we need to make and a revolution does in some ways have to begin because we have to make change we're we're not we're not midway through this problem we're like at the point. Yeah. We're t- our scales are tipped. We're mm-hmm. about to fall right into the ocean, mm-hmm. almost literally yeah. in some places. And <laughs> right. it's not good. It's right. not healthy. You know? So here's some thoughts that uh, listening to you just sparked a bunch of things. Sure. So, yeah. so one, one thing was, well, first of all, I would add, I mean, social justice is, uh, it could encompass a lot of things, so but I'm things, thinking yeah. like, also like economic stuff, like yeah. um, a, a livable minimum, minimum wage. wage. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we all, when you really look at what's going on, it can feel overwhelming and you feel like you have no power, but we all have places in our lives where we can take a stand and, and the coming to the same table piece may just mean for you finding people who can support you to make the stand that you need to make in your little corner of of life. So it may be that you make a stand for the the people who are cleaning the bathrooms in the office where you work and say no, they need to be paid better than this. And in a way that you have uh, you have some power that they don't have because they are replaceable but maybe you're not because you're a skilled laborer or something like that. Right. You know, skilled in the in the nope. in yeah, the yeah 
I, I hear that and I hear myself say that and I'm, I'm saying it from the perspective of your employer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, somebody said to me the other day and I felt like this was, it sort of resonated with what I've been thinking myself, something about it. It isn't so much about like, you need to do this certain action. Each person needs to do someone else's out there can tell you exactly what you need to do. It's more that everyone needs to move in the direction of, it may be in your first direction. move, right? Yeah. It may be your first move is to say, I need to educate myself a little. Mm-hmm. Maybe instead of watching that entertaining show that I have been watching, that you know somebody's writing that, that <laughs> it's it's made up to keep you right. in suspense. It's yeah. not a real story, yeah. and you instead put some of that energy towards learning what's really going on in the world, and then you start to think like, huh. Wow. Like, for instance, we've been duped into thinking that uh, tap water isn't safe. And yep. and look what's happening with all that plastic. And maybe your small beginning, and it's still a small step, but it's like you, somebody else, oh, I'm going to, thank you for putting me on a roll. But somebody else that I talked to, I, I was feeling like, yeah, but, you know, just kind of feeling discouraged around the idea of people, um, like, you know, changing their light bulbs and, and buying a reusable water bottle and, and yeah, then being yep. like, that's the end of it. And then the friend said, my friend who's also, I did an episode with, she's saying, that's like building the muscle for the next thing. Oh, that mm-hmm. wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but you're, I mean, you yeah. didn't start school yeah. off being able to read right. a 20 chapter book. Right. You're not going to start climate activism off right. jumping right onto the front lines being like, how do I organize 50 people to make and change? And I didn't start off that way. You know, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm, I'm still getting up every morning and I'm going to work every day and I'm working 40 plus hours a week. And, but this was the piece that I could latch onto. Mm -hmm. And I didn't just jump in and say, I'm going to become an active volunteer with this group. It was, Oh, who's this Bill McKibben guy? Like, what is he writing about? And then it was like, that's science. I get it. I understand that. That's something that, in my mind just made the most logical sense in this entire problem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could, I could hold on to that because mm-hmm. everything else is, seemed crazy and overwhelming and scary. And then mm-hmm. I was like, but that number, if I could, if I could latch onto that number, that's something that I could look at and go, okay, where are we? Where's my measurement on that 350 scale? Right. And then build from there. And then how do I, what, you know, what is this divestment thing? You know, <laughs> why is that even important? But, but seeing how even as an economic justice issue, where that goes. And, you know, when you talk about like the tap water, I love that actually, because when, if you think about it, just drinking tap water out of a reusable bottle, you've already made such a change. You've mm-hmm. made a change in the cities and townships where that water is being extracted right. from like any one of those large bottling companies. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's less of an impact on their livelihood Mm -hmm. on their water supply you're making an economic change to your household Mm -hmm. because now you're not spending that money Mm -hmm. you know you're putting it towards your county use you've got one bottle your kids are looking at that and it's like you've already taught them this is what's best if you have children Mm -hmm. and then on the other side of it you've saved the earth because that waste is now coming out of your family i'm fascinated by these families who do like the year of no trash oh i don't know about that oh they're fantastic it's like they commit to you know and they start off small but they commit to like having as least amount of trash in their their house as they possibly could and Mm. it's just it's so fascinating to me Mm. because i mean i buy fruit and it's got stickers on it and i throw it out and Mm. i don't even it doesn't occur to me like what 
I'm creating in the world. And, you know, when you start to think and you're like, well, if I go to the farmer's market, there's not going to be that sticker. I've supported a local economy. I've supported my local Mm -hmm. economy. I've brought my bag with me. Like there's so it's, and it's so simple and it's hard to realize, like, I don't think that's an impactful change, but when you really look at it, Mm. if I do that, five of my friends come and do that. Mm -hmm. My family does that. Suddenly we all are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it doesn't have to be a grand scheme. It doesn't have to be a large movement. It's about saying in your community, how do I have these types of conversations with six people? Right. And then how do I give them the power to go home and have conversations with right. six of their friends? There's, yeah. um, I, I'm planning a episode with somebody where we're going to study this, um, little publication that's on the psychology of climate change communication, which you can get for free online, which maybe I will link that as my link mm-hmm. on this pot, on this episode. We, we may come up with other things that we need <laughs> sure, to link sure. as well, yeah, yeah. but just while I'm thinking of it, hello, cc.info is the website for this podcast. Um, you can also subscribe on iTunes and you'll see the show notes there too. Um, so you mentioned divestment and I don't think I've had an in-depth conversation with anyone about di- divestment yet on this podcast so let's talk about it a little like what did you find out when you said what is this divestment thing so um i I was fortunate in finding out about divestment from bill mckibben himself i had drove out to amherst college and he was giving this lecture and it was right before do the math so it was like let's get excited about this grand idea and wait back up do the math was that the 350 so yeah do the math was this fabulous campaign kickoff for divestment Okay. And it, um, there's a documentary out. It's called Do the Math. Okay. And it was their first campaign okay. that I was actively involved in. They've had okay. other campaigns, but this was the one that sort of kind of got me right. more involved in So it was right before that came out. Saw Bill McKibben. He talked about divestment. Divestment was used during um, apartheid South Africa mm-hmm. where companies, investments, colleges, universities, churches, everybody was right. divesting their... Um, pension funds, their retirement funds, any type of money from any company or anything that had to do with apartheid. And then we did it for tobacco. So our Mm. um, retirement funds and things like that shouldn't be tied up with tobacco anymore. We were supposed to divest from tobacco. So this was the next logical step Mm -hmm. in sort of bettering our financial future. And that is to divest your personal, your state, your church, your synagogue, anybody's pension funds, retirement yeah. funds, endowments from the fossil fuel infra- yeah. industries. Your school. Your school. Anybody can right. do it. And um, reinvest it in green economies, in, right. in solar, in renewables, in something that's actually going to grow. Mm-hmm. And economists started to look at it and they're saying, well, it's actually a, a really wise choice because science scientists have said we cannot burn the reserves of, right. of the fossil fuels right. and have a safe – we won't be able to survive it. Right. So all of your money, all of that investment's tied up in this carbon in the ground yeah. because there's a price tag on that. <clears throat> right. But if we can never use it, Why it's useless in it? money. Yeah. So it's the same sort of the way I've had it explained to me. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to the housing bubble where all of this right. money was put in and now it's this carbon bubble and it's oh. going to burst. Oh, that's yeah. such a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. So when it does... You either are out already because you've already said we're taking our funds and putting it here mm-hmm. or we're looking at another recession. We're looking at possible recession. We're mm-hmm. looking at possible economic collapse because think about our world. Everything right. is tied into right. 
Exxon Mobil, all of these companies. Mm -hmm. So how do we make that conscious choice with our money? Mm -hmm. Because that's all they, they seem to understand. (laughs) So, so it started off as this grand idea, like just do the math, look at this carbon Mm -hmm. bubble. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense for us to have it. And then how do you start talking about it? So in Massachusetts, we have two active legislative actions to divest our pension funds from the fossil fuel industry. We're one of the few states that are that far in the game. Um, Previous to our, we just recently had an administration change, but previous to that, we had the support of the treasurer um, to actually take the state pension fund. And he was like, divestment just makes a logical next step. Um, So we're, we're working on it and it's active and we've got support of a lot of people. Not enough. We're working on growing more, Mm but that's where your communication with your state reps and your state senators yeah. really matters because right. if you're not talking to them, they don't they don't think anybody cares in their district. Right. You know, so how do we get them to Oh care? yeah, you were saying earlier and I was telling you I need you to say this on, on while we're oh, recording, right. um, about um, meeting with your state senator. Yeah, no no representatives. So oh. we met with Congressman Jim McGovern. Okay. Probably about a year, maybe a little before that. And it was a great meeting. We introduced divestment in the state, but we're also, we, the meeting was purposely about um, pipelines. So let's just like, so we can picture it. Yeah. When you say we, what was that? So I, there was a gentleman in our state who regularly meets with legislative and people. And this is a 350. I believe he was part of the original 350 mass, but he's, since then he's kind of just, this is what he does in his spare okay. time. Um, and so he's he was like able an independent to... lobbyist. Yes, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, and he reached out to Central Mass and said, you know, we're going to meet with Jim McGovern. Jim McGovern is is part. He reached he's... out to 350 Central Mass. Yeah, to okay. our group and said, would any of you like to be interested? Because he is, we're his constituents. Right. Um, so I was like, well, I've never done it. So, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Why not? Right. <laughs> you right. know, there's a lot of things I've never done. And, uh-huh. you know, so we went and so it was myself. Um the co-coordinator from the node and this gentleman and his wife. So four of us go to meet and it was really, it was interesting and it was very, so you it, went to his office. we went to his in-district office okay. um, and it wasn't intimidating. I thought I would be completely mm-hmm. just blown away, but it was just a, a gentleman who sat down at the table and wanted to talk to us. What do you, what do you have to tell me? And what I took away from that, he told us how, um, when there's a gun control legislative yeah. something, he knows he's going to hear from the NRA. Right. He absolutely knows he's going to hear from them in his districts. He knows that. Mm-hmm. When there's an environmental issue that comes across, he never hears from us. Mm. And he was like, and that's the disconnect. That's the piece that we as a movement are missing. Wow. We're not saying you need to call, you need to vote this way. Right. And he is a very progressive congressman. He votes very much in favor of stopping the crisis and, and fixing things. So mm-hmm. I asked him why he votes that way. And he just looked at me and he said, I have a conscience. Right. And that was it. Right. Yeah. Conscience. Yeah. And yeah. that was it. And it made sense to me, but it was just, and I walked away from that going, well, if they're all going to be this easy done, well, they're not, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was a great introduction yeah. and it was, and since then we've seen him at, events and mm-hmm. he's very supportive of what we're doing mm-hmm. so i mean it's 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 nice to have that that person who says yeah no right. we need to make change so, so um so how accessible do you find have you have you been trying to meet with other ones or 
So that's probably the piece that I struggle with the most. Yeah. Um, just because I'm am working right. and it's really. Did you have to take time off from work to meet with him? To meet with him, yeah, but it was wow. so worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah. But I mean, yeah. that's part of the picture. Right? Yeah, that's what we're up against. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's not something that people can always do. Yeah. You know. Um, since then I've changed positions, so I'm in a new a new oh. place. So it's not mm-hmm. like I can just walk in after being there for a few months and say, you know, I need a couple of days off to hang right. out at the state house. Right. It's not going to go over well, and it's not going to go over well for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So those people who can, yeah. let's empower them to do so, right. you know. And if we can make the phone call on our lunch break, if we can make the phone call, if we can send the email, if we can send the letter, you know, let's do that, you know, when we can, yeah. because it does matter. Mm-hmm. That one person, from what I've heard, they're assuming that you have four people, 20 people, 50 people standing behind you who also right. agree. Right. And certain times of the their political career, that matters as votes. Oh, yeah. So right. how do you make that work in your yeah. favor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just think of the, we were talking about this, but the episode I recorded, just the most recent one was with my stepson about, um, who's like, so knows everything about how the legislature works and was explaining how a, a law gets made. And I was saying to you, like, now I get it, that, that, that we really picked it up from, the idea of, you know, somebody gives an idea to a congressman and the congressman says, I think that's a good idea. And then they take it to commit, they take it to the, to the entire, oops, I keep bumping into that, um, body of their, their house. And then it gets assigned to committee and then where it goes from there. But what we left out was that how it gets to into the hands of that congressman and how they get on board. And it may be that they love the idea or it may be that there's such a huge body of people who signed that petition or there's so many people that are, are like harassing them basically about it that they feel like, wow, if I want to keep stay in office, I need to pay attention to this and think about it. At least I may not agree, but at least I'll put my mind there and see where it goes. So, and they're hard victories to see because they take forever to go through. And Mm. it's crazy to me the amount of uh, the amount or maybe how important behavior comes into this so Mm. if it's 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 interesting how it's like oh i didn't like the way that representative blah 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 looked at me today Mm -hmm. so whatever he calls about i don't want to talk to him today that happens so regularly and to me it's just interesting that that because we're entrusting these people to make decisions about our livelihoods, about our communities, about our society that are going to help our culture to continue to grow. And, and it comes down to almost um, like grade school antics that are occurring. Wait, yeah. let's break, break that down a little. I'm not really sure what you mean. Like, So if you – so even though as citizens, so we're lobbying, so we're lobbying, and I use the yeah. term loosely, but we're making phone calls and we're talking to our yeah. senator and we're saying, look, I'm in your area. I want you to vote this way. When they're working in the state houses, oh, okay. they're also reaching out to their fellow representatives, senators, and they're having those right. conversations. And it could come down oh, to I see. between them, between them. Be yeah. Time. And it, to right. me, it's like, you know, that's not why you're here, you know, right. and I guess it, that becomes frustrating mm-hmm. and sort of almost they, I know I've gotten caught up in how mm-hmm. overwhelming that could feel because it's like, well, what is the point of my working right. with the people who you're supposed to be representing if it's going to come down to. You know, he Something didn't buy so me a fickle. cup of coffee yeah. today, so yeah. I don't want to talk, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if it comes down to that. Well, mm-hmm. no, it probably does. And it's, 
I, it's it, frightening. I guess at times, and but I but I guess if there's a consistent enough pressure, like that won't be the end of the story. Right. I think that's a huge point, though. The idea that the, you know that that a representative would say like every time there's something involving guns, I'm going to hear from the NRA. Oh when yeah. Everything that anything that time there's something about the environment, I don't really expect to hear from anybody. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully that's something we're changing. I think so. It's it's definitely there's I. Um, know of a lot of people who are active about sorry about all the noise i have somebody building a house in my street <laughs> so you probably can hear that um they're driving back and forth with trucks full of gravel and stuff anyway um <clears throat> so yeah so what do you think the difference is why do you think they're hearing from the nra but not from the environmentalists? well i think the nra is an extremely organized group of people. Yeah. And, and I there's, think they pay dues and they pay dues. And, so and I think, staff and, yep. Yeah. And I think that with those dues that they pay for some hardcore lobbyists. Yeah. And I think if there's any critique I could give of the environmental movement is that we aren't tough enough. Mm. We don't, uh, we've become more aggressive, mm-hmm. which is good because yeah. we need to be, yeah. but we are also, we've, I don't mean to generalize, but I, from my experience, we have that reputation of being like, okay, we think you're going to do the right thing, so mm-hmm. we hope you do. And we're now realizing it's not about hoping somebody does the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's about being in their face and saying, we expect that you're going right. to do the right thing. We're going to call and make sure you do the right thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to get behind any organization that calls you and says, you know, we expect you to do yeah. the right thing. And it's becoming more obvious. I mean, when you have a group like the Sierra Club, the Sierra Club has never participated in an act of civil disobedience in their existence. And then they chose to do it over recent times because of the Keystone XL pipeline. <gasps> that means you need to take it seriously. Right. You had over 400,000 people line the streets in New York for an entire afternoon, and they weren't all tree-hugging hippie <laughs> environmentalists. They were labor, labor unions. They were religious leaders. They were school teachers. Right. They were mothers fathers you know and of course there were the tree hugging you know environmentalists but the point was we brought indigenous tribes i mean so many people together to Mm -hmm. say look it's not about this one group Mm -hmm. it's about all of us coming together labor unions saying we want jobs that are going to be secure and also safe for us you know you can't send people out into the arctic and think that that's a safe decision right it's not a safe decision it's not a good job quality for them right but teaching them a new skill, teaching them how to install a solar panel on yeah. a home. Do you know where that's going to go right. in the next few years? Right. You know, and that's the difference. Yeah. So, so this, this may be a good bridge to like, I was thinking it might be a good idea for us to delve into making the connection between say, for instance, you brought up black lives matter and, and dealing with climate change. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's clear, but I, and there are more than one, there's, it's a network of connections, but I would love to hear your thoughts about that. I'm making the connections between the. Yeah. Cause you yeah. were saying like, you know, I think for some people there, it isn't clear that there's any connection. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. So how would you explain to someone who's like, well, how is that connected? Um, so I, I will admit this is probably an area that I, struggle with explaining Mm -hmm. well and it's because i have one piece of that puzzle but i think that what i would say is that just we could look at it from sort of touching on each justice so you've got the environment's a mess so Mm -hmm. our food system is just crazy it's out of whack so it's causing food prices to go up yeah right so if we're continuing to allow people to live and work 
at a wage that isn't fair or isn't within the realm of what our cost of living is, Mm -hmm. how can we expect to to help people to sort of kind of jump out of that and, and, and be able to sustain their families, their livelihoods. And, Mm -hmm. and with that, you know, encourage better growth, encourage better progressive social movements. Um, And how do we, the, the part that I struggle with is because there's definitely a clear oppression occurring. And I don't know if that necessarily connects so much with the different climate movements, food movements and stuff like that, but it's about empowering the people to sort of stand up and say, we're done. We don't want this oppression anymore. And they're doing it and they're standing up left and right. And everybody can, who can is standing up with them. But how do we, how do we change our society? How do we be radical enough to say, you know, we expect that when I go to work, whether that job is, you know, at a state house somewhere or in a private for-profit company Mm -hmm. Or if it's at McDonald's, I expect that I'm going to be paid a wage where mm-hmm. I can afford to actually eat here, where I'm not deciding, you know, between a bottle of water and a loaf of bread because the loaf of bread just went medicine up to like food or, medicine. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. of that comes into play. And once we can give people sort of take that as a worry out, mm-hmm. people can start to focus on what is right. occurring around them. How do we build better? You know, how do I look at my police force yep. and say something's not right here? Yeah. And how do I talk to my neighbors? Because I can't do that if I'm wondering if I should get cough syrup right. or bread. So a, a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is anything that any place where you can plug in and make the world better makes it more possible to address other places that need to happen where the make the world yeah. better. Another yeah. thought that I had is we have an economic system that's built that is based on exploitation mm-hmm. and exploitation is at the basis of racism. Um, it's it's the excuse for it. It's the excuse for thinking that certain people deserve less or are capable of less or, um, you know, that any particular type of work is less important than another. I mean, somebody can be working on putting a spaceship on Mars and somebody can be cleaning the bathroom for them while they do it. And is one more important than the other? No. No both need to happen. Yeah. And so when we have an economy built on exploitation, then what ends up happening is a lot of work, quote unquote work that's being done really isn't of value. There are things happening that are just about moving the money from or moving all the resources from the hands of the many to the few. Right. And like I'm a graphic designer and I, I'm, I think at some point I'm going to sit down and write my own manifesto about what it means to be a graphic designer with a conscience. And what I, because I, I was thinking about this, because a lot of what graphic design is, is um, uh, making things look important and legitimate. It's, commu- it's visual communication, but what, mm-hmm. what you're communicating can be insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, making something evil look like it's benign right or you know or 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 basically helping helping in the effort of moving the resources from the many to the few and i realized like okay that's my line if i don't take any work that um that that aids in that particular flow so i'll help somebody who's starting like their own little business that's going to benefit the community or I'll work with the food co-op or I just did a logo for a forming NGO that's going to go to um, Paris for the UN climate talks. So like those kind of things. And luckily I've been able to find that work, but it took a long time to figure out like, where's my line. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some way in which like 
the in, going back to the idea that taking in a stand as an individual, figuring out what your personal policy is in life. Yeah. Where do you draw the line about where you're going to be an exploiter? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or or allow yourself to be exploited, mm-hmm. which is harder. It's oh, a harder it's so line much, to draw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's hard, too, when you think about, I mean, some folks or, I, might yeah. not even realize that that's what's occurring. Yeah. You know, and you look around, I mean, Connecticut's a great example. Yeah. You the the difference between the highest paid in Connecticut and the lowest in Connecticut, the, the disparity is just mind boggling. Yeah. But do we know that? I mean, if I'm growing up and I grew up in New Haven in that area and like, did I know any different? Probably not. You know, I was surrounded by it, but then you broaden your, your scope and all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. So did you grow yeah. up um, with more privilege or were you in? No, like, we, a we were working class. class. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we grew up in New, just outside New yeah. Haven, and it wasn't, yeah, yeah. Not so. not plugged into the Yale, <laughs> like. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no. So no. here's another thing that I, that just sparked for me. Um, another piece of the justice puzzle, as you were putting it. I, I mean, sort of, you're calling it the justices. Yeah. Um, and that is women. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and this has been just crystallizing for me about how, uh, if women had, um, were not, uh, all right, let me just, I'm struggling to put it into words. Cause I have never tried. This is live me trying to think out loud, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So women, if women were yeah. empowered, fully empowered, then, you know, so that they had complete control of their reproductive lives. For for one example, there's like all the sexual yep. exploitation that's yep. about, you know, and, and other and, and the ways that women are exploited around their appearance and their uh, attractiveness being the main thing that's important. Right. And so then they they're vulnerable to the beautification kind of industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK, so that's one thing all by itself that's really and, and then, then the way f- the fashion and I mean, the way I, I heard, I read, I saw the documentary True Cost the other day. Have oh, you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I've, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And one of the points they make is that second only to oil, like the extraction of fossil fuels, basically. Um, but oil, I think they were specific with oil. It, uh, the fashion, the clothing garment industry in the world is the biggest polluter Mm -hmm. second biggest polluter next to oil so but anyway so i was going to say if women were completely empowered to make their decisions around reproduction and that comes from youngest childhood where their fathers and uncles and the men around them are not so confused as to look as at girls as sex objects and not as people with minds and autonomy and the right to say no to things right right (laughs) yeah um and and also with the respect that there's going to come a point in that woman's life where she's going to be making decisions about the family tree that she's the trunk of. And so like abortion rights are, are critical in that, in that we at, we're at a stage now where we haven't gotten to a place where people are totally rational around sex. Yeah, And yeah. so having a woman be able to be like, I have a, a apple tree in my backyard. It, we had a lot of apples this year two of the branches were so loaded that they broke. Yeah. And I know from having worked in orchards that you sometimes have to thin the fruit because there's so much or you're going to break the tree. Right, right. And sometimes you have to um, thin the branches or else you're going to cause a disease situation because there's not enough Mm -hmm. airflow. Mm -hmm. So, like, we as women are tasked with 
thinning our own branches. And sometimes, and hopefully we can do that by decisions we make right? and not have to put ourselves through abortions, which are, which are Absolutely. devastating. Yeah. But, but, um, but anyway, so like, that's a piece of it. Like, you know, that's a piece of stewardship of the human race mm-hmm. that that needs to be in the puzzle as well. So. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And we, you know, I'm so excited about the Pope coming out and talking mm-hmm. about yeah. how important it is that we address the climate. I mean, it opened up the door for people who were uncomfortable with the conversation or didn't know where to start to be yeah. able to start. Great move. Right. Except on the other side of it, the man refuses to acknowledge that birth control should be something that we mm-hmm. are actively using. Right. You know, the population... And the number of people, the number of people we have on this planet is part of that problem. Mm -hmm. And we talk about constantly, like if I were to stand up in front of an audience and, you know, talk about climate change and mention that I have chosen in my life to not have children and then gone on about all the wonderful things that we could do to change the climate. Inevitably, the thing that everyone will remember is that I've chosen not to have children and I will hear at, from someone, mm. don't worry, there's still time. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's not really <laughs> where we were going with that. But, but if a man were to get up and say it, it wouldn't even cross anybody's mind mm-hmm. that that's what the conversation, but yeah. we live in a society where our Congress had a hearing on women's pro- reproductive rights and didn't invite a single woman. Wow. That's disgusting. When did that happen? Happened, I believe it was a year ago, possibly two. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And as a woman, I was like offended that you would even think that these panel of men had any say in anything that's going Mm -hmm. on for me. And yet it was in the news and out of the news. And we never heard anything more Mm -hmm. about it. Um, There was this beautiful moment in, I think it was in Baltimore, where um, when, when the riots had just started... And I think it was a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. I think in retrospect, perhaps others did too, but where this woman went running into the crowd and pulled her son out and Mm -hmm. like smacked him. And it was like, you're coming home with me because he was right in the middle of it. And it was on the news. And I I was like, she was so amazing because she got up there and she said, look, I had the opportunity to go and get my son. She's like, but I did that. There are mothers out there who are working three to four jobs just to put food on the table. They can't be here to do this. Mm. And you can't like basically, and I'm totally paraphrasing. I'm probably not even giving her half the justice, but basically she was saying like, we all can't do it because we don't live in a world where I have the opportunity to sit at home and notice that my son is in the middle of this. She's like, I just happen to have been here to do that. But there are 20 mothers in like her neighborhood who couldn't do that because they're working as hard as they can, Mm -hmm. or they've got other children at home that they have to care for. And we don't give credit to that. You know, we don't look at that, what these families are going through and say, Oh, well, you're struggling. It's, it's become like this thing, like, Oh, Mm -hmm. you're a single mother. Well, no. Wow. You're a single mother. Like, wow. You're a single father. Like you get credit for that because you're playing a lot of roles at once. And if you're playing those roles and then struggling to put food on the table or, choosing between mm-hmm. medicine and food or choosing to not go to the doctor and just waiting to see something through and maybe it'll get better. And then being forced to go into an urgent care because you were too, you're ashamed to get insurance or insurance wasn't available to you. So the only option you have is to go to an emergency room. I mean, these are things that people are just, these aren't 
degradations on society this is our society yeah. like we created this so how do we fix it because Just it's like not you're okay. not you're not stuck in traffic you are, are traffic, traffic. <laughs> exactly 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 but yeah. what do you mean by ashamed to get insurance just a uh, just a detail for a long time i mean i think that women especially we feel a lot of pride if and when we're taking care of ourselves and taking care of our children and i know especially if we're a single parent there's a lot of pride in that and for a long time People, especially when we first introduced healthcare reform in Massachusetts, it wasn't like, here's this beautiful free care, like, come sign up. And everybody came and they were like, yes, we're going to sign up. It was like, oh, well, I don't know if I necessarily, like, I don't think I, well, I'm not sure. If, you know that, I don't know if I need it. I, you you get it stuck in your head where you're like, well, we don't need that. We're fine. That's right. that's for poor people. And it's like, no. Nope. Oh, insurance? Yeah. Well, think that about, think about when I mean, healthcare like, reform oh, first like started. Oh, you mean like a medic, like, like a, a socialized? Like, uh, I don't know what it, like, like a, what is it, like Husky Care or something oh. like that, where it's, it's, it's subsidized, it's subsidized by, right. you know, and people it's were like, like oh, stamps, no, no. They feel pride around Exactly. Oh. But really, you, your child needs to be cared for. And Massachusetts right. handled it, I think, in a really great way, where we just said, look, we're going to put as many children as we possibly can for free. On mm-hmm. this, and then we're going to invite families to come in, and they can apply, and then these are the rates that you're going to have, and and we're going to work with hospitals, we're going to work with doctors' offices to make sure that they're accepting these insurances mm-hmm. and that they're getting paid. And trust me, there are a lot of bumps in this road, and mm-hmm. everything isn't as smooth. But we have, I think it's like ninety nine percent of all children in Massachusetts have the health insurance at this point, yeah. which is unheard of, and that's yeah. so great. So we have kids who could actually get physicals prior to walking right. into their schools just to just because i have people listening to this from yeah. out of the country just a couple thoughts one is oh, yeah. husky care is the connecticut yep. version of it that's yep. what you were mentioning and the other is i can imagine some people listening in europe who are like just yes. ro- just can't believe you know yeah and they know it's not news to them yep. that, that we struggle in this with this but you know as a country yeah but the idea of it being something to celebrate that our kids get health care is like, or something that everybody was like they have it they have it in their right they pay their taxes for right. it or the idea yeah. that some people who are running our country were like that's not a good idea every right. time we hear these things come up it's like why are you denying a child the right to gain access to health insurance i mean that doesn't it just boggles the mind that that yeah. would even be something that people would say when these are people who receive an amazing amount of care and health insurance mm-hmm. because of their elected position, not because right. that they, they have gone through a process where they've trained for this position and they've continued to grow in a job. And then they've gotten to a high, they were elected by their populace to like to represent them. And with that benefit, you get yeah. this insurance. And then you turn around and you say, Oh, but the people in my state don't deserve that. Well, try but, but again. They're, 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 I mean, because yeah. they're so. Um, once they're elected, so much of their energy is diverted into getting reelected, re-elected. and then mm-hmm. it's about about who's going to fund them, and the people are mm-hmm. funding them as it's basically a business. Uh, it's an investment to fund the politicians who are going to make your business better, and it's in the sense of it being able to exploit right so we're back to that yeah and if you can make that link right to the environmental movement yeah. because it's corporations like your monsatos and your exxons and your mobiles and places like that they're the ones what? did you mean monsanto Mon- monsanto, monsanto yeah. yeah they're the ones that are um just controlling and paying and helping you know, we look at the the Koch brothers who are just yeah. this like disgusting family to us. Yeah. 
But to someone like Scott Walker, he's like, thank God they've got my back because they're going to get me through these elections. They're going to help me get to the next step when it doesn't matter how many millions of people you're going to step on to do that because Mm -hmm. they don't, they, they just don't, I don't know if they don't care. I mean, I would hope at some point that they would look out and say, you know what, maybe we, we have to change, but uh, I also hope that about Dick Cheney and I don't really see that ever happening. So (laughs) So, yeah, Um, it's just, it's such a, it could be so upsetting Mm -hmm. and you know but at the same side it's just sort of empowers me a little bit to kind of be like okay well you work for me if I elected you to this position you work for me so if I need to make that phone call to you to remind you that you work for me pretty regularly I will and I'm pretty sure I can convince at least six other people to also make that phone call to you to remind you that you work for me and if I need to follow up with an email to remind you that you work for me I'll do that as well and if it means I have to send a letter or write a quick like editorial to the local newspaper gonna do that too you know and we're gonna do what we need to i you know if there's a rally on on your doorstep probably gonna show up for it you know and and we'll do it time and time again until you start to realize that that these are these are the people who are going to either keep you in your job or they're gonna take you out of your job Mm. so at some point coke isn't gonna matter at Mm. some point these big companies aren't gonna matter because they're not going to be able to come and vote for every single one of us. Right. So, yeah. Okay, let's take we've we've talked for so long, believe it or not, that it's like one episode right there, and I'm wondering if you want to keep talking and we'll just like take make it like a second addendum. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll just say for for this episode, thank you so much Erica Saunders. It's awesome talking to you. I feel like we're sparking each other in a way that's exciting. Yeah. Um and and what I want to ask you next is just more about like your personal like because not you're rare in the sense that not a lot of us feel that motivated to show up on that person's doorstep and oh. write those letters and all that. So I want to know more of your personal story, but let's, let's save that for one second. Like, okay. so, so, um, yeah, thanks for listening and you know, see you in the next episode, which will be five less than five minutes from now for us. <laughs> Bye.